Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you like pens? And not just any, but those of the fountain variety? Well, so do we. If you like to spruce up your script, fiddle with your scribble, or just an all-around cursive subversive, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Here in the Nib Section, we take all those questions that beginners and intermediate fountain pen freaks love to ask themselves, pack them all together, and take it to our roundtable discussion. Speaking of which, it's time to introduce our hosts for the show and fellow members of Fountain Pens Oceania. Once again, taking on host duties, the ever-present and always double-bold Tav Sin. Hello everyone, my fellow Oceanians, it's good to be back. With us on co-host duty uh, is our junior investigative journalist, Jean, once again. Hi, everyone. It's Jean here. Nice to be back. And uh, rounding out our panel today is our uh, returning guest host and self-described cursive cat lady, Christina Kowalski. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back for episode three. I'm excited to be here and cannot wait to learn about calligraphy with the whole lot of you guys. I'm Chucks Montano, and I'm a freak in the streets, but oblique on the sheets. Uh, before we go any further, guys, uh, what are we writing with today? Uh, let's start with Tav. Okay, I'm writing with a Sailor 1911 large size with a 21 carat Naginata medium nib. That's uh, quite interesting. It's not at all like uh, most other Sailor nibs. The medium is actually equivalent probably to a double broad in most other ones. I've not tried the broad version of this nib, but I can only imagine it's even better than this one. It's designed to write at a lower angle with a broader line, and if you hold it at a higher angle or even upside down, it'll write anywhere between a double broad and a double extra fine if you hold it upside down. So it's uh, quite a useful nib for me. And I've got it inked with Organic Studio Nitrogen Royal Blue, which is quite uh, an interesting ink. The, the ink of uh, last, last uh, episode's discussion. Uh, what about you, Jean? What are you writing with today? Well, some people know that I've got a bit of a love affair with Pelicans, and I do have one of my beloved M400s with me today. It's the red stripe uh, pen with a, a medium nib. And it's inked with the relatively recent Montblanc Shakespeare Red, which I'm actually finding quite lovely. Okay. And what about you, Chrissy? What have you got today? Uh, today I've got something a bit more simple, uh, a bit more durable in my field of work. I've just got a, a Bauer 3035. Uh, for me, it's my everyday carry for my retail warehouse sort of work. Uh, I've also got it inked up with uh, Takasumi, uh, just because I had to fill out a couple of forms today. So I had to keep it professional and official. Great Simple stuff. black. Great stuff. Uh, I'm using a guest pen today, uh, lent to me by uh, Diana Dye for the purposes of this episode. It is a Nakaya Decapod Twist in Heki Tamanuri with a soft medium nib and uh, Aurora Blue. Is that right? I am getting confirmation from our producers. It is right. So that's it for today. We'll, uh, we'll put the pictures of our pens and uh, descriptions in the show notes and information. So we have a very full episode today. As per the regular roundtable discussion, we have lined up for you an interview on calligraphy that Tav recorded with two FPO members, Ahmad from Melbourne and Ruben from Sydney. They'll be delving into their experience in Gothic, Urdu and Arabic calligraphy. But before we get to that, let's head over to the mailbag. We got an email from John M. from Alice Springs. Chrissy, do you want to read what it said? Absolutely. Uh, John's email is titled, Loving the Podcast. Hey all, I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed the first two episodes of the podcast. I love the panel format, and I really enjoy the non-pen related recommendations. I've been into fountain pens for about 10 years, and it really felt like I was alone in the hobby in Australia. Living in Alice Springs does not help. 
So it's exciting to hear local enthusiasts. It was great to hear that your audio got so much better in the second episode. I still think there's some room to get people up closer to better microphones, though. Things are still a little echoey. Thanks again for making such an exciting new show, John M. Thank you, John, for your great feedback. Thanks, John. Um, I would like to qualif- uh, clarify the sound quality is mostly because we're doing this in Mark Hobson's living room, which is non-carpeted, non-padded, and going to echo because of all the surfaces that... It can bounce off. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Guy Sebastian's studio wasn't available. Yeah, geez, Mark, why didn't you think of us when you were renting this place? We've, we've booked it ahead and, um, you know, there's, there's a waiting list. Um, but the, the social media uh, aspect of Fountain Pens is sort of why we made the podcast. You know, why we, we're trying to reach out. I know, I know for a fact I found this podcast uh, really just, uh, not the podcast, sorry, the Fountain Pen group, uh, really just bouncing around on Reddit um, on the fountain pen subreddit and uh finally coming over to here and uh there's a lot more activity you kind of know everyone a little bit more and um i've gotten a lot more information and you know it, it's hard to try pens over reddit i've tried there's a few different ways but uh, it, it's difficult I, I wouldn't recommend it you wouldn't get a nakai over reddit correct no. so uh, how have you guys found the community um particularly with building together and uh, building your interests. I'll find it extremely helpful, for starters. Did you know that there were so many fountain pen users in I Australia before? I did not, no, no. Um, I thought with, with fountain pens it coincided with uh, calligraphy. So those who had the, the gorgeous handwriting, the sign writers um, and everybody, that they were just uh, out, out of my reach as a lowly retail person. But branching out into this community using Facebook especially, uh, I've met so many wonderful people who are just as enthusiastic about fountain pens as I am. They've reached out and gone, look, it's you like fountain pens too, I like fountain pens. Here, let me show you my collection and then let's broaden our horizons just from searching on eBay. And narrow our pens. wants as well. And, yeah. And yeah, that's really where we have to go kind yes. of from thanking the community to blaming the community. Because yes. I think I'd be still puttering along quite happily with my Metro and my... All-star, yes. if I hadn't met yes. Di in, yes. in and her collection. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, I'd be, I'd be in, you know, driving a Porsche right now if no. I hadn't dropped that bloody fountain pen in uni <laughs> and gone into the pen shop to get it yeah. fixed. Just a Porsche yeah. full of smashed avocado and toasts. Oh, it would be. There would be a no end to the smashed avo. But John M, you are not alone. All of us are in the same position that you are in right now. Just go online, go on Facebook. You can find us at Fountain Pens Oceania. And there you can get even deeper into the addiction, if you so choose. Yeah, if you, if you want to spend us. your day talking to a bunch of codependent enablers, uh, which which I do. Uh, our feature I am not codependent. Well, mostly not. I notice you're not taking issue with the enabler part. No. The, well, oh, all of us uh, enable uh, No, yes. no. And also, I'll say to John, if you happen to be in any particular state... Um, that has a higher percentage of users uh, than where you currently are. Feel free to put a post on the uh, on the group, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that would be ready to Sweet. schedule like a little little mini meet up just to just to say hi and and show you their collections. Yeah, and, we meet up at the yeah. slightest opportunity. Yeah, yes, if there's if there's someone who's just like, yeah, I, I used a fountain pen once. That's coming from Melbourne to Sydney. We're like, okay, mini meet. Maybe we're organised done. People even forget to bring their pens. It's all fine. We've got yeah. enough pens. To it really out. does go yeah. zero, zero to a hundred very quickly. There's a lot of posts on the page from people finding out that a stranger uh, uses fountain pens, 
and mm. them sort of approaching crowdsourcing them. their plan to corrupt this mm. person. Oh, it, it, the enabling is a very, very corrupting thing. Like, it happened to me, it happened to a lot of people I know. Like, a lot of people within the actual community are like, oh, you know, I only thought maybe, you know, I could get one or two, I wouldn't think about it too much. And then someone else from the community says, hi, have you heard about this? And then they just drag you down into fountain pen hell, basically. Which is also the same place as fountain pen heaven. It's, yeah, true, it's, true. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's one zone. Fountain pen purgatory. Yeah, no, we call it fountain pens Oceania. Same diff. It's the name drop. And yeah, there's roll. always someone willing to let you fondle their pens. Yes, that should be the motto, really. Our featured topics for this episode are calligraphy and handwriting with fountain pens. Out of all our hosts this episode, Tav, I think you've had the most experience with the art of calligraphy. Out of the uh, out of the hosts, I do yes, but uh, out of the people that I've interviewed, definitely not. Uh, and who have you interviewed in um, this upcoming section? So I've interviewed so far Ahmad uh, Mushtaba and Ruben Tabito, two members from uh, from FPO. Both of them very experienced calligraphers. Uh, Ahmad's been doing it since he could write, and uh, Ruben's been doing it for about eight years. And Ahmad's been using um, an oblique nib for uh, Urdu calligraphy and. Ruben's been using a, uh, a parallel pen for the most part for doing uh, the Fractor variant of uh, Gothic calligraphy. And both of them can create some amazing lines. And I wouldn't have the slightest clue how to do either of their styles, but I, I, I consider myself somewhat good at copper plate. But I didn't discuss that that much because I think that copper plate's probably one of the more accessible forms of calligraphy. It's one of the best known. Um, it's what people sort of think of when they hear calligraphy, not Gothic or uh, a, a, a different language. I also discussed just for, for a little while my uh, my time in dabbling with Armenian calligraphy, which I've discovered works best with a cursive italic nib, not so much with a sharper italic nib. Um, I've kind of created this hybrid of um, italic and uh, an Armenian script, as it, it, it resembles some of the shapes that you could find in English. Okay. Well, um, I think we, we have a clip, roll clip. Again, guys, I'm Tab from the nib section. We're here with Ruben Tabuto and Ahmad Mushtaba. Uh, Ruben is our veteran broad-edge calligrapher specialising in Gothic calligraphy, and Ahmad specialises in the beautiful language of Urdu. Welcome, guys. How are you today? Good afternoon to you, Tav. Hey, Tav. Uh, we're doing all right here. Thanks for having us on the car- podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for, uh, for, the, for making this appearance. It's really appreciated, I'm sure, by our audience as well. So, guys, how long have you been doing uh, calligraphy, Ruben? How long have you been doing Gothic? Um, I started about seven years ago, so like late high school, year eleven thereabouts. Uh, and I've I sort of I've been doing it mostly as a hobby. Um, I describe myself sort of as semi-professional. I've done a few paid pieces, but they're few and far between. Um, I mainly do it for the joy of it, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Mm. And, and Ahmad, how long have you been uh, doing Urdu calligraphy? That's the interesting part. In Pakistan, <coughs> sorry, in Pakistan, we were actually taught Urdu calligraphy with left oblique nibs in primary school as a method of improving our Urdu handwriting. But that's kind of fantastic. Step on from there. That's fantastic. That's, that'd, that's be, really cool. that'd be amazing to do. I remember it's using those um, left oblique dollar pens back when I was 10 or 11 years old, thereabouts. So you, you were taught on a fountain pen. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Oh, we were right. uh, not allowed to use fountain pens in the earlier days in primary school. We were explicitly told that the only pen that we can use when we got so-called our pen license was a fountain pen. 
Oh, that's, that's, that's great. So, Ahmad, you're saying that um, calligraphy has pretty much been a really big part of your life since a very young age. Absolutely. So, I actually stopped doing it for a while uh, during my year 12 onwards and when I started my undergrad. But uh, recently, when I started revisiting my fountain pens, I found out another stub pen in the box and then I decided to get back into it. I'm quite enjoying it. That's great. And so, so Ruben, um, how did you end up getting into Gothic? Gothic? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's actually kind of a bit funny and stupid. Um, in the year 11, one of the reasons I started was it was a very one-sided sort of um, rivalry, you could say, with a uh, classmate of mine who I knew was like mucking around with a bit of black letter and um, he was he was producing some pretty amazing looking work and I kind of wanted to um, produce stuff sort of in that similar vein and just started slowly teaching myself from a book that I just got from Dimix or something. And uh, then I... I kept going and he just gave up and I think you know I just got bitten pretty hard by the calligraphy bug because I just kept going ever since and I just kind of developed sort of a love for the actual just not just you know using it as a means to write but like the actual act of uh, writing out all the letter forms is sort of deeply satisfying in a way because you have to really take your time compared to a, like you know ordinary handwriting and that and you have to take real care with how you produce like the letters and make sure that the shapes are consistent and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so, I can, yeah, I can appreciate just... that as a copper plate calligrapher. It's definitely not a, uh, a, a fast form of calligraphy. You can't do it quickly. You have to do it very slowly and deliberately. Um, so can you explain for our listeners uh, what the difference between black letter and gothic is? Uh, yeah, well, black letter and gothic are actually kind of interchangeable terms, They're actually, and they actually refer to um, a family of sort of loosely connected styles. Like they all tend to involve and they've all like very closely packed letter forms that tend to be based on very very regular vertical lines that are described as looking like a picket fence when you ride it out with the right spacing. The spacing is very regular and very tight. Um, most of the other forms are created by short diamonds, so that you get this very you get that very typical angular style. But then there's some like even from scribe to scribe, it will change. But also there are regional variations. So for example, uh, there's rotunda, which is which was used in Italy and Spain, and that's a little bit more rounded. Um, you don't get the same very um, angular diamond shapes, and it's what you'd refer to as flat-footed as well. They don't have the diamonds at the bottom of the uh, the letters that you see in what you'd call um, textra quadrata, which is the English style that most people are familiar with. And then there's, of course, uh, my personal favourite, which is fracta, which is a German variant, which is sort of a middle between rotunda and black letter in that it still has more of the, the harsher diamond-footed uh, endings that you get in quadrata, but it does have some more curved shapes in some of the joining sections of, like, the N and the M, for example, and, uh, like, at the end of the um, the last stroke. It's hard, it's hard to sort of explain verbally, but, yeah, it's more – I find it more playful, I guess you could say, um, a little bit more uh, flamboyant and open to flourishes and that kind of thing. So it's a bit more fun and it's, like, more visually interesting on the page to me than – um, quadrata is. Yeah, so uh, for, for our um, listeners at home, I've actually just got next to me the, the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, mm-hmm. the, the title for that is written in Gothic, so if those at home are trying to wonder what uh, what Gothic calligraphy looks like, look no further than the Sydney Morning Herald's title page. Um, if you want to Google that or if you happen to have an issue next to you, have a look at the title and uh, you'll see a good example of Gothic lettering. Now, there's there's uh, an, an innumerable number of uh, you know, English styles of calligraphy. 
you know, there's copper plates, Spencerian, Gothic, Italic, um, there's foundation hand, there's, there's, um, well, I, I can't even list them all, but armor, oh, is there, is, is there as much variation in, in, uh, Middle Eastern calligraphy? Yes, I would say, because there's quite a number of scripts that are used for Arabic. Urdu is pretty consistent in that we use what's called the Nastalik uh, font. But in Urdu, there isn't too much variation. Pretty consistent across the board in Pakistan because it uses um, a sort of Persian or um, derived script. So it's very similar to Arabic, but a few subtle differences here and there. So, so to the Western eye, it, it would look quite similar, but to you, it would look totally different? Uh, not totally different, but uh, can pick the differences between if I see a piece of Arabic calligraphy and if I see a piece of Urdu calligraphy, I can pick the subtle differences there, particularly because Urdu does have a few extra alphabets. So if you see them, that it means that it's definitely not Arabic. Okay, okay. And, and so you don't you don't try your hand at, at, at other types of Arabic calligraphy? Urdu is your, your, main, your main one? I can do Arabic calligraphy as well. So occasionally, for example, I do write uh, uh, verses from religious scriptures in Arabic as well. I do remember writing that for the FPO group as well uh, with the prompts, where I did write a passage from the Quran along with its translation. So they are sort of interchangeable in that the letter formations are quite similar. So if you learn one, you can very easily adapt to the other. So it's like it's like what Ruben was saying with the different types of Gothic. Yes, I would say so. Okay, and did, did you uh, did you get into well? Did you uh, did, like you find that uh, your calligraphy ties into any religious life for yourself, or is it totally secular? I would say it's secular. Like I do a lot of calligraphy on uh, for aesthetic purposes. Um, even when I uh, look at religious passages, I write them in a calligraphic manner because I want them to look good. Uh, that's not the only way to write them. One of the common misconceptions we have. Um, in the West, out for those languages, the Eastern languages, particularly the Persian or Arabic group, is that calligraphy is the only way to write them. Although, when we write them with normal pens, they look like any other language. They have the same letters and formations, just that they don't have the stylized edges on it. Mm. Yeah. So, even if I do write them um, with a calligraphy pen, it's because I want to write that particular passage and make it look good in an aesthetic manner. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. I think, I think it's just, um, a stereotype that a lot of people have with languages that they don't understand that if they see, um, say, for example, a bit of a Middle Eastern style calligraphy, they'll assume that it's, it's religiously related. And I will, I will say that the, uh, some of the, the Islamic calligraphy that I've seen is absolutely beautiful. The, the, uh, <laughs> the artwork that they can do with, um, with, with a, a kalam or a pen is just amazing. Uh, yes, of, I remember. Oh, sorry, sorry, go as ahead. a very young, as a very young child, because when you mentioned the column, I do remember that uh, when I was very young back in the day, um, even back in my father's days, uh, children were you, uh, taught writing Urdu with these uh, oblique reed columns dipped in India ink, and they used to write on wooden boards that had clay coated on them, so that once they were done writing, they would simply wash off the clay, and all the ink would wash off. That's that's okay. fascinating. So so a kalam, could you describe I've never actually seen one in real life. Could you describe for the viewers what a kalam looks like? A kalam is basically made from what's called a reed. I think it's a type of bamboo. It's a thin wooden reed and then it's cut at the end so it looks very much like a left oblique dip nib. Okay, so it's a wooden mm. a wooden dip pen. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And mm. generally it was used with uh, India ink in Pakistan. Mm. The shellac based black ink. If I may, if I may ask, Ahmad, because um, I've actually had a, a little look into reed pens myself, uh, because it, it's it's commonly used in calligraphy as well. Um, and I, I'm under the impression that 
a lot of scribes tend to cut their own pens as well. Did you ever look into cutting your own reed pens or did you ever uh, get involved in that kind of thing yourself? Or were they pre-cut? Like, did you get ones that have been prepared specially earlier before you were doing calligraphy, like when you start to write? Columns in Pakistan are relatively cheap, and uh, let's just say I'm uh, a bit uh, clumsy when it comes to tools, so I would buy them ready-made. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Because I hear it's really tricky. Like It's an art form, actually learning just how to cut a, a reed pen properly. I suppose it's like a, a, it's skilled, like a quill, yes. like cutting your yes, quill and preparing skilled, it. Yeah. Yeah. A very skilled calligrapher would be able to cut one to his own preferences, but it would need a lot of skill, not just with writing, but with the cutting tools as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. So the, speaking of so the problem with the reed, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. The problem no, with reed is if you don't to move us uh, on. Um, oh, sorry. Yes, I just wanted to talk about our tools of the trade. So, um, so you've you've been talking about a, a kalam, uh, but what do you? What's your what's your favourite calligraphy pen at the moment? At the moment, I rotate between a Twisby 700R and a Pilot Parallel. Okay. Even though they're not obliques, if you handle the pen correctly, they can give you the same effect. One of the common questions I've had is, would an architect point suit Urdu calligraphy? And my answer, in short to that, would be a no, pretty much, because architect points don't really suit the nib manipulation or rotation we need in the hand when writing Urdu or Arabic. So I would say any oblique nib mm-hmm. does well for Urdu. That's very interesting. I think that there's a big common misconception about that as well, because people uh, often refer to architect nibs as Hebrew-Arabic nibs, but it's, uh, it seems like that's a bit of a misnomer. This is Hebrew, I would think. But when it comes to yeah, Arabic or yeah, Urdu, yeah. we don't always have the the fat horizontals. So sometimes we do need to rotate or angle the pen in the hand. So they can work, but they're not ideally suited to it. Mm. And mm. Uh, and Ruben, what what are your favorite tools of the trade? Uh, well, I actually started off using the. I was hardcore traditional. I used the um the dip nibs, and I used to use uh, Winsor and Newton sort of India ink. So really, really traditional. Um, but to be perfectly honest, as I, I went on in the last year when I was introduced to fountain pens, I started using the parallels purely because I was so tired of over over filling uh, the nib when I was doing using the dip uh, nibs and it would blob everywhere or I'd underfeed it and it would cut out halfway through a letter. And I mean, sure, it's all it's very traditional. You know, you feel like a, a right monk doing it the, the, the old fashioned way. And I still do it if I want to get a particular effect or I'm using an ink that is absolutely not fountain pen safe. But for everyday practice, um, I would always use a, a pilot nib just because you don't have to worry about the, the ink flow or anything like that. It just sort of writes as soon as you uncap it. And it just, you know, just the, um, the ease of use is kind of the real attractive point to me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, well, I think my style, well, my two styles is uh, I've dabbled in Armenian calligraphy myself, as I'm, me having Armenian heritage. And, um, I found even that just cursive italic fountain pen nibs are quite effective for that because it's very similar to the italic form of, of calligraphy. I've also dabbled in italic myself, and for that I'd use a, uh, a broad-edge calligraphy dip nib. I don't tend to use fountain pens for mm-hmm. those, um, but my main style of calligraphy is copper plate, which for those at home involves using flexible nib, is that word, my favourite word. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't, however, use a flexible fountain pen. There have only been a couple of times where I've used a flexible nib fountain pen for this calligraphy. Um, the best and any calligrapher that does copper plate will tell you that the best tool for copper plate calligraphy is a dip pen. And it's uh, mine's an oblique dip pen. It's a very cheap plastic one that you can get from Dimex for a couple of dollars, essentially. And, it, and uh, my favorite nib is the Zebra G-Nib. 
there um, the nib to use in uh, copper plate calligraphy is probably a very uh, personal thing. I happen to like the Zebra G nib, but you ask other people, they probably have different preferences. And the and the ink that I use is very simple as well. It's just Chinese stick ink, ground on an ink stone with a little bit of water. It's cheap, it's economical, and it's light fast, and uh, you don't need to worry about staining or anything like that. Now, what uh, now? Ahmad, you've mentioned that you've written a couple of religious things, but what what what's a, what's a couple of examples of, of, of other things that you uh, that you like to write, other quotes or things like that? Other things I do write uh, for some of my friends. I do write if they ask me to write their names, if they want to put them somewhere for decorative purposes, or if they want me to write headings for things, I can write that for them. Occasionally, I do write uh, proverbs or quotes or passages for my friends as well. And Ruben? Well, as I said, when I said I was semi-pro, I've had a few people ask me to do some pieces. Um, people seem to really love uh, me to do uh, particular like passages. I think I did the traditional um, Irish sort of farewell prayer, I think you could call it, or farewell blessing for a friend. Some people have asked me to just do their favourite quote. Um, I actually, when I was, because you know, being a power nerd, I was in a, a medieval reenactment society um, and sort of informally involved in that. Uh, one person um, asked me to do one of the biggest projects I've ever done, which was a it was like a medieval style um, legal letter, and that was about two A three sized pages of writing purely in this in the um the the Spanish black letter style called rotunda, and that was probably one of the biggest projects I've, I've actually done. But I did get paid for that, and that um, it was a really great letter. It literally, it legitimately took me close to a week. This was back when I was otherwise unemployed. Wow, um, that's a, but that's a it was a fantastic. Job. Le- oh yeah, it was. It was fantastic. Just as a learning experience and an exercise in extended calligraphy work, it was like one of the single greatest things I could have done. So it was. Oh. It was an absolute pleasure to do. Okay, so um, how can uh, how can people get into your, your your respective styles of calligraphy. I like. I'll, I'll just start by saying that um, there are calligraphy classes out there for uh, copper plate. I actually learned, or uh, I did most of my learning via uh, Susan Tyler, who's a fantastic calligrapher. She's the uh, president of the mm. Australian Society of, of Calligraphers. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. She's an expert yeah. in almost any type of calligraphy you can name, and she's a very good coach as well. She does she does uh, lessons in Sydney. But um, say, for example, Ahmad, it, it seems like uh, there wouldn't be that many people teaching Urdu calligraphy in, in Australia. How do you think? How would how would somebody who's really interested in it um, get into it? I would say uh, you can look up YouTube lessons because uh, some of the first things you would have to get over is learning the Urdu alphabet because uh, you need to start learning how to write from right to left for a start and then how the alphabets work and more importantly, how to hold the pen properly so that it emulates an oblique nib because oblique nibs, I would say, in relatively affordable pens would be a rarity. So once that is sorted, then you can look into, there's quite a number of videos on YouTube. I'll be happy to provide some links later where you can look at letter formation and how to join the letters into words and then go up the paces from there. Fantastic. And uh, I believe that uh, Ruben is quite a good teacher himself, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll actually say again that uh, Susan Tyler is a fantastic coach at Gothic calligraphy as well. So I think that you, you um, those of you at home can um, contact either of them for a bit of advice. Uh, we're running out of time, guys. Uh, we'll just, um, I'll just give you, I'll just ask you one last question. Do you guys have a Sorry? blog? 
Uh, we're just running out of time, so uh, I'll just mm-hmm. ask uh, one last question of you guys. Do you guys have a, a blog or a, a Instagram or something that you'd like people to, to check out your work on? Not at the moment, but I would uh, start one in due course, and I'll let the uh, listeners and readers know. In the meantime, in the FPO group, you're more than welcome to ask me about the basics of Urdu calligraphy as well. That's fantastic. And, and Ruben, do you have a, uh, a, a calligraphy blog? Um, well, I, I tend to publish from an Instagram and I go by the hand, handle of uh, Sir Scribe. <laughs> uh, and I'm by no means anywhere in the vicinity of uh, Susan, but I do actually also have a YouTube channel called um, Scribe Life, uh, where I've, I've done like step-by-step tutorials in a number of basic calligraphy scripts. So I've done Unseal and I'm working my way through Black Letter. So, I mean, if people just want to casually learn uh, or they want an introduction, like I go um, stroke by stroke through like all the letters of the alphabet because it was a slog learning myself from like being self-taught from a book and I wanted to produce a resource for um, calligraphers who don't necessarily have the the time or money or whatever uh, capacity to go to formal lessons just to learn off a YouTube series and at least see how to produce some of the strokes that are a bit trickier that you can't always get from reading like just an instructional book. So, yeah. Okay, thank you guys. There you have it. Uh, we have our specialist in black letter and gothic calligraphy, our specialist in Urdu calligraphy, and uh, I myself am readily contactable for help about Armenian calligraphy and copper plate. Thank you very much, Ahmad and Ruben, for appearing on uh, the nib section. Uh, we hope to hear, have you thank again you on so our show much. soon. And um, thank you very much, both. Thank you, Tab. Thank you, Tab. It's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to being back on FPO and this podcast in due course as well. Thank you, guys. Mm, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to show up. Thank and you. Cheers. Now, uh, back to our okay. regular programming. Okay. Uh, those of us in the Fountain Pens Oceania group have uh, already probably seen one of Ahmad's um, tutorials, uh, one, of, one of his calligraphy uh, scripts with uh, which which style was it Tav that he did it was a, a it's brief Urdu uh, Urdu okay um, well I have a question for everyone uh, what do you think the difference is between calligraphy and mere handwriting like is it is it just a matter of aesthetics prevailing over utilitarianism or or is, is calligraphy nearer to drawing than writing I think of calligraphy as just pretty things that I can't do um, I don't I don't think uh, yet. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yes. You're, you've just offered to teach me. Good boy. <laughs> the uh, things he gets. Can we, can we cut that so there's no evidence? <laughs> record it three times. Uh, no, I, I think that even if I was to learn, I don't know that I would use it every day. It's something that I think I would probably reserve for things like headings, birthday cards, yes. so things where I wanted to make a statement as opposed to just a page of writing. So the but, difference is effort. Yes, yes I, I think so. Yes. But again, that's coming from a position of somebody who doesn't do it. So it looks possibly like more effort than it actually is. Uh, yeah, calligraphy is not at all practical. You, <laughs> you don't use it every day unless you are, you know, somehow a calligrapher, which I'm not. Or so a so decorative then. It's decorative. It, it, and in, in, in many styles, it is like drawing. It's like um, you, you have to use very slow, deliberate strokes. Whenever I see people trying to do copper plate fast... I sort of think, that's not possible. You can't do that. You can't do a Bob Ross painting in 10 seconds. You have to take your time, plan everything out. Uh, a lot of the time you have to plan it in pencil. If you're going to do a, a really, if you're going to do a really important piece, I'll actually outline it in pencil first. You've got to plan out the ink that you're going to use. You need to use a dip pen most of the time, unless you're using 
a parallel pen for something like Italic or Gothic. Uh, it, it's, it takes time. It's not, it's not something you can do quickly like handwriting. Handwriting is practical. Handwriting is what you do every it's day. It's to get a message across. Yeah. While you know, calligraphy um, is there to make a statement. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that, um, I've dabbled into gothic handwriting myself. Uh, and yes, I've had to draw my lines out. I've actually had to measure the spaces for my uppercase and my lowercase letters. In, in this particular instance, I was writing a, uh, the name of the forklift that was used and I did the outlines in, in pencil before I took it to a, a I'm sorry, but a, a Sharpie because there was no way I'd have a 6mm parallel pilot uh, would be thick enough to get on the side of, of a forklift. So, yes, definitely making the point. It is calligraphy, is, my understanding, is there to make a statement Handwriting is there to get the message across. Hi, I want. Um, this is Diana, um, one of the producers here. I wanted to ask a question because I find this really fascinating. Um, would you say the difference between handwriting and calligraphy is that I, I notice in handwriting um, the purpose is to express individuality. There's no rules really. Anything goes as long as it's legible. But with calligraphy, you're really trying to conform to a standard. Would you say that, Tom? There's a set of rules, I think. Yes. There, There is definitely a set of rules. I mean, if you're going to be a Puritan about it, sure. Um, but everyone also does have their own style of calligraphy. Um, your calligraphy is as, as unique as your handwriting, and a lot of the time it doesn't resemble your handwriting. Um, How do you determine who's the best at it, then? You can't. Who it's like, who's the, the best rules? at painting? Who's the best at singing? Who's the best at art? Uh, you can't. Bob Ross, Bob Ross, and Bob Ross. <laughs> Okay, that's true. <laughs> but apart from uh, second from Bob Ross, every, who, who is who is the best? It's 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 really up to interpretation. Because I think of it as being sort of like music, like there is a a standard or a script that you're following, but there are also room for individual flourishes or interpretation. Exactly. And that's exactly. how you end up with really bad covers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like music musically, if if you look at the mathematics of music, there's like twelve semitones, and you know that's. Crum- standard chromatic scale but so much can be made with those 12 if you're listening to this Gareth don't say anything please I'm, I'm in a I'm in a barbershop quartet and one of my guys the, bar, the uh, baritone is doing a PhD in music and he hates when people say that there's only 12 semitones because he he's into this thing called microtonal tuning where he goes into quarter tones eighth of a tone he just he tunes everything mathematically not to that 12 tones to a 12 semitone system right he's uh, he's actually even designed his own tone system you know because the the 12 semitone one is uh you know too uh too mainstream right so well with with i think with calligraphy and i want like just to give you an example uh, with copper plate calligraphy everyone has a different angle that they are most um most comfortable at most of the time it is at a particular degree angle um, that's what you learn at but eventually over time you'll you'll find out that um, that you have your own comfortable um, writing angle and I find mine's actually a little bit closer to vertical and some people find it's a little bit more slanted over the side mm-hmm. so everyone has their own style yeah well on the note of cultural calligraphy um, a lot of my a lot of my exposure to cultural calligraphy is from Asian cultures and there's a there's a very sort of respectful esteem for um, Asian calligraphy, you know, there's a, there, there's almost like a, if you can get one single individual character, perfect, you know, um, and not perfect as in within guidelines, but if you can capture 
particularly with a lot of Asian characters where it's a picture, it's a semi-pictogram as well as a letter. Um, I'm I'll, thinking of Japanese um, hiragana when, you, when you're saying that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you can capture the one character, well, that's, that's uh, you know, like an, an almost... Uh, universal accomplishment mm. if, if you can do that uh, I always think of a scene from the Jet Li movie Hero where there's a calligraphy school uh, with uh, arrows raining down on them mm. and they continue writing uh, even as they're getting hit with arrows I'm sure it's probably not historical no. but uh, but what if they were flex nibs I'm sure you can get them to I budge think, if they were flex nibs I think the arrows flex as well oh yeah. that explains why they're so deadly <laughs> you get maximum front uh, you can get maximum flex with a brush, a horsetail brush. Ah, oh, then why? Yeah, I, well, I, won't, I won't touch that. I'm not going to rant. Thank you. Rant. Not right now. I am not this time. Not, not this, right this episode. The rants later. We'll, we'll um, unleash it at some point. Um, well, in, in even in uh, Jewish culture, for example, it's 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 sacred. You need to be a specially trained calligrapher to write out the Torah, the Jewish Bible. Um, if you, you need to study as an apprentice for years and years and years before becoming pretty much ordained at the same level as a, as a rabbi. You, you need to have studied the scripture. You need to be deeply religious. You need to be um, deeply religious as you write as well. And you mustn't make mistakes. Any mistakes must be erased in a specific way. You need to use a specific ink that's mixed in a specific way, a special, uh, a special pen, a special paper. Needs to be made in a specific way. It's 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 all steeped in tradition and religion, and um, and I think like like in the in the Eastern, well, in Chinese and Japanese calligraphy, it's it's almost well. Uh, I don't know about in Chinese if it's sacred specifically, but in in uh, in Jewish culture, it is definitely sacred and a godly sort of art. In Sorry, I was going to say, I always have to wonder, these things have become very sacred and very spiritual through you know, hundreds of years of, of doing them that way. But I always wonder where they started. Was it just a bunch of people getting together going, wouldn't this be really cool if we did it this way? <laughs> well, in, they just um, had their own group. In, I know in Islamic culture, calligraphy is sacred because they can't draw um, figurative representations of God. That's or, right, yeah. So, or the prophet, or oh, maybe the prophet, but certainly not. But that, that, that's, yeah, that's you why all the draw the prophet, that, but you can't draw God himself. That, that's so why the destruction of all the um, of exactly. all the imagery in, right. in various countries where there's been conflict, that people going around destroying ancient artifacts mm-hmm. because of, because of the, the depictions. And in Chinese culture, um, calligraphy is one of the highest forms of art, not necessarily sacred, but it's a symbol of um, civilization and your. Status? Um, yeah, your status, your the degree to which you're educated. Well, that makes sense because if you if you you have enough wealth and power and position to be able to sit down and learn to do these things perfectly, you're not having to be farming twelve hours a day. Also, you have the time. I think um, I don't know if it's, it was the same in Western cultures, but having a good script could get you a lot of jobs. Like it was <laughs> a, it was a access to a higher class to um, a really good sedentary, well paying job. The first white collar workers, exactly. Right. Thanks, I'm hitting up that place then for a new job. <laughs> if you think about it historically, like um, especially in European cultures, like scribing was a very important thing, especially within like medieval sort of um, universities where students would have to copy out their own textbooks mm. themselves. You wouldn't be able to directly borrow it. You wouldn't have multiple copies. It would be the one you'd made yourself. And so it became a lot more of a personal thing as well. Not not to mention that like a lot of like sort of religious scriptures as well would be done in certain styles, but also because um, it was a sign of academic 
sort of capability and the fact that you could write was basically putting you above a lot of other people in society. I think that died down a little bit in, in the West, maybe in the last two centuries or so. Printing presses and so it, forth, yeah. It actually very much did, and a couple of Americans, I think, were credited in this thing. Maybe the, uh, the early 20th century, the very early 20th century, with the revival of Western calligraphy. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like copperplate and, uh, in fact, you know, just copperplate itself was not a style of calligraphy initially. It was designed for engravers, yeah, engraving on copper plates, and in fact, my grandparents have a a an eighteenth century grandfather clock that has copper plate engravings on it that would have been done before copper plate was actually a, ha- a type of uh, handwriting. Mm. And then a couple of I think a couple of Americans reintroduced the notion that you can use this same stuff for writing on paper, and that uh, it spurred this huge revival of handwriting and calligraphy, which led to uh, copper plate, Spenserian, and the Palmer method um, styles of handwriting, um, and things like Spenserian and, and the Palmer method really took off because not only were they beautiful, but they were also somewhat practical if you spent the time to learn them for business penmanship. There you go. All right. Well, calligraphy, historically, cultural, whichever way you split it, it is very steeped in tradition. Let's uh, move on to the news. Uh, automobile restorer Gunther Works have partnered with Konid Pens, the Belgian pen maker, to produce limited sets of custom engraved keys and fountain pens. What do you have to do to get one of the 25 sets produced? Only buy a bespoke Porsche 911 for a low six, uh, 660,000 AUD. Bargain. Yeah, they'll also throw in a resort stay. See, if I hadn't bought any bloody fountain pens, I could afford this bloody fountain pen. (laughs) Conid is not a super well-recognized company. Um, They've been around for less than 10 years, but they're known for their innovative bulk filler system and precision engineering. Uh, We've also seen Gunther Works described in car magazines as an automotive upstart. Um, You think this is a good match between like-minded brands? Maybe. I'm not a big fan of Porsches and I'm not a big fan of the Conid, so it suits me. <laughs> oh, I think I think the, the Conid, um, some of the Conid pens are very nice. Uh, they're very well made, very well engineered, definitely very well engineered, but they are at the upper end of a lot of people's price range, if not way above them. Looking, sounds like a Porsche. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're fill, their filling systems are very good, but I think there is a little bit of a gimmick in, in requiring as much... Um, filling space as possible. You know, if you want to get pretty much half an ink bottle into a pen, get a Conid. But I don't really know if most people require that amount of ink in their pen. I mean, I've seen the Conid Giraffe, which is, I think it's like oh, 23 wow. centimetres. Yes, it mm. looks like a Harry Potter one, seven but mils. filled with ink. Yeah, seven mils of ink. When you think about it, I mean, you see people who buy extra fine nibs with it. I mean, that's, that's, that's writing out the entire... You know, if if you were a right a back Jewish, to writing out your own textbook, yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you you are. If you're a Jewish scribe, you could write out the entirety of the Torah scrolls in that thing. I mean, and still have a lot to go. I mean, you could write in the write out the Torah, the New Testament, and the Quran, and still have like a quarter tank left. So, it, it is a little gimmicky, but I will say that their manufacturing standards are very good. Yeah. So, um, on that note, if you are uh, handwriting any religious scripts, then uh, I suppose the giraffe is the, is the recommended pen for you. And if you have half a million. Dollars to, to, <laughs> to, throw, to around. throw around, yeah. Well, I, I, Buy a Porsche to go around your pen. The the very first thing I thought of when I saw that with um, them both being relatively young um, upstart uh, brands is that uh, I, I expect that these are engineers who have studied together that are in uh, separate 
separate uh, brands uh, after they've studied. And they um, have probably kept some ties which have allowed for an, an interesting um, marriage of, of niches, I think. Uh, I, I have nothing to base that on, but it, it's what it looks like. If you know any, anything about this, like behind-the-scenes information, write you can in. write to us. Can you yeah. confirm this made-up theory? Yeah, purely speculative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jean wants to talk about um, one of her projects that she's been working on. Yes, yeah, so in the first episode I did touch briefly on um, a one project which was about um, accessing pens from overseas that we are, don't necessarily have access to here. But um, the other thing I'm working on is uh, my little second research project is about pen repair. And we hear a lot about the major repairers overseas, but I do know that there are some things we do have available to us locally in Australia and in New Zealand. And I want to find out what they are. I want to find out how good a job they do and whether it is actually worth sending your pens with massive insurance overseas when we we could do it right here. So I'm going to grab a bunch of non-working pens. I'm going to send them off to whoever I can find. I'm going to look at how good a job they do, how well they communicate, and basically see whether these are people that I'd be happy entrusting my beloved pens to down the line when they need it. So um, if you have any suggestions of anyone you know who does do some work, or, um, or you just want to know more about it, feel free to get in touch, but you will be hearing more about this in later episodes. Jean, are you limiting yourself to repairers and restorers in Australia? Australia and New Zealand for the moment. Um, I may later on look further overseas, but I really want to look and see what we have here at the moment. Next up, we've got uh, Kobe Nagasawa Inks. Uh, last week, they launched a bunch of uh, different uh, North American retailers. Uh, Wonder Pens, Anderson Pens, and Goldspot Pens being the ones that jumped out at us. Uh, previously, they were only available in the U.S. through uh, Venice. These inks are made by Sailor for Nagasawa Stationery in Japan, and the number of inks in the regular line currently number at 64 and growing. Buyers in the United States or Canada that want it relatively quickly and locally can order now from Venice, Anderson Pens, and Wonder Pens. That said, if you're in Australia or New Zealand, or if you're looking for something a bit cheaper with a potentially longer wait, our advice would be to order direct from Nagasawa in Japan, which you can do through their Rakuten Global Store. The website is a little tricky to navigate, but Nagasawa on Rakuten is where our producer Diana bought almost her entire collection of Kobe inks. Um, Next up, uh, Twitter user at Yamada Luf has posted photos of writing samples of all the Kobe inks from 1 to 60. So go check that out if you want to rack up a massive ink shopping list. That's at Yamada, Y-A-M-A-D-A underscore Luf, L-E-U-F. We'll put the link in our show notes. Uh, Let's move on to our feature topic, which is uh, how using fountain pens has changed our handwriting. How does handwriting uh, fit into your lifestyle? uh, Chrissy, do you you write extensively? I'd say I actually don't. Um, at best, I'd be writing uh, 13 words, which is called customer left message. Uh, I'm writing that same note over and over. Um, but since I've stepped up into, into a management role, I'm looking for avenues uh, where I can expand my, my writing so I can get more use out of the pens that I've purchased over the, over the years, uh, in, including notepads, I'm looking to incorporate them to communicate with my team so that they know uh, what they're looking for. Um, but as a short answer, writing extensively, unfortunately not. I'm in a digital environment, so I'm communicating mostly by email. I find it somewhat disappointing, but um, with my immediate team, um, I'm, I'm trying to increase um, not only also myself, but also my team to, to write more, to have more handwritten notes so that I can show off 
my, my pretty shimatastic inks. Well, you, I mean, you could handwrite on a touchscreen with a stylus. Could, uh, which, yes. Which we all know is, is uh, the most the most accurate yes. way to, <laughs> to, to write. Signing in those, PO, like getting that POD from couriers on a daily basis. Mm-mm. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's very soulless. Oh. And it never looks anything like your signature. Absolutely not, which is why they ask it's for weird. your name, and then even then they get your name wrong. Um, well, uh, let's let's move on to uh, Tav. How, how does handwriting uh, shape up for you and writing extensively? Is, well, is that in your, your current line of work? Or? Well, it depends on the day because uh, part of my job involves filling out chain of custody forms, and when that role falls to me, then of course I'll you know they'll they'll sort of the, my colleagues will watch as I walk to the back of the room, open my drawer, get my pen case out, and sit down with a little mouse pad as a cushion underneath the chain of custody forms that I'm filling out. Um, so on those days, maybe every second day, I'll fill out quite a few of them. And, um, so then handwriting will factor in quite a bit. However, there are some days where I might only just sort of, uh, sign my name a couple of times and that'll be it because a lot of the stuff I do is on sophisticated machinery. So it doesn't require a lot of stuff. And sometimes it really isn't worth walking to the back of the room, getting my pen case, unscrewing the lead and signing my name on something when there's a ballpoint two centimetres away you from lie. my right hand. It's mm. always worth it. <laughs> well, see, yes, I think it's worth it. However, there is a limit to which my colleagues will respect my use of fountain pens, and that way surpasses it. Uh, what, what about you, Jane? Well, I write purely for myself. Uh, I, I'm a secretary, so my, most of my work is on computer. I write. Um, I have my work notebook, which has been upgraded to a Clairefontaine, and I use that for taking notes on the phone. But um, largely... Because of getting interested in fountain pens, I've also started a modified bullet journal, and uh, and so I do do a fair bit of journaling as well. So it's purely for myself. I don't use it in my daily life as in my work, but I do find I'm putting something into my journal every day, whatever it may be, and uh, and yeah, just making my notes. It's tough. Well, uh, look, a couple of the uh, students in the fountain pen groups have reported that teachers and markers are having trouble reading their cursive, and um. Do you think it's important to know how to read and write cursive? Has cursive had its heyday? I think, yes, no. Um, Teachers should still be encouraging cursive handwriting. Um, It was introduced to me, I'd say, year three, year four in the public school, that um, cursive was the quicker way to get your message across. Uh, We were taught um, to use tails and lead them on to the next letter. Uh, Very, very juvenile... um, exercises but it got the point across uh, in saying that uh, yeah teachers and markers are having issues uh, reading said uh, cursive handwriting I can see the point that they're making so as an example uh, some people write their C's and E's very similar uh, an E may forget the loop in the actual letter itself and just looks like a C um, writing the word minimum by itself looks like just loops it's looks like russian yes it does (laughs) it's it's my favorite word to write actually just throwing that out there but the the word minimum itself with its uh upward downward strokes there's no there's no curves it's nice to say to minimum yes (laughs) there's no breaks um tails or or high tops if i I remember my heyday uh, correctly uh, so yes, no, I do see the point that they are teachers are having the issue of reading a person's handwriting because it is the individual's, you know, script. 
Um, yeah, I think it is quite individual because I think it should definitely be taught. Yes. Because it is faster in theory. Yes. But in the same way that there are some people are faster at two finger typing than actually doing it properly, mm. somebody who's printing printing well and doing it quickly may find themselves much more legible and be happier doing it than, than with cursive. So I think it, it needs to be offered as an option, it needs to be taught, but it definitely shouldn't be insisted upon. I think the cursive style that's being taught now is, is a simplified style, definitely. I learned a more simplified style than my parents used. Yes. Yeah. Um, there was more flourishes, um, in, in, especially in your capital letters back in the day. You, you could see the in, sorry to show age or insult anybody, um, but in museums... You'd see the old roll call list and how everybody with uh, well pronouns uh, always had a flourishing of that capital letter. So we definitely nowadays are being taught a more simplified version uh, than than back in those times. Certainly. Well, um, let's let's move on to our poll now. Um, every episode we put out a new poll and we invite our listeners to share what they think. Last episode we asked, should cursive go the way of the dinosaurs, as we've just talked about. I'll, I'll just have you jump in uh, with the with the results. Ninety six point six percent said no, cursive hasn't gone the way of the dinosaurs. Shouldn't go the way of the dinosaurs. Well, um, I don't know what what you guys thought was going to happen, but I, I, I I'm completely unsurprised. I did not think that uh, fountain pen users were going to uh, slander their their primary. Uh, justification for, for using... Are you implying we had a slightly biased focus group there? Uh, I, I thought I was very clear about it. <laughs> I, was, I was more worried about like a sort of a, a random raid by ballpoint pen Oceania or something like that. Uh, you can't trust BPO. So no. the, the very non-surprising results of the poll are um, 97% of respondees say cursive shouldn't go the way of the dinosaurs. Yippee. <laughs> 97%, uh, which hey. tell, tells us, uh, if anything, that uh, we all have some severity oh. of Stockholm Syndrome. Hold, 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 hold on, does this mean we get dinosaurs back? Yes. Because, like, I'm totally ready. Is there is there a dinosaur print pen? Has there been a, a dinosaur theme um, one? I'm sure there's some. Pen manufacturers take note. I'm sure I've seen some Arushi pen that's got sort of like a lizard skin... Uh, finished to the Urushi or well, something like pens. that. I want a Stegosaurus to ride on. A Stegosaurus. <laughs> uh, you, you might need a very sophisticated saddle for that, otherwise you might end up in two. Yeah. If someone's getting me a Stegosaurus, they can cope with a saddle. <laughs> yeah, but the spikes. <laughs> the spikes, Gene. The spikes. All right. Oh, God. No, that's, what, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> Well, uh, this episode's poll question is, uh, what brand, other than Pelican, would you most like to see organize events for the fountain pen community? To vote and leave a comment on this poll, head over to our Facebook page, the Nib section. Results will be read out on our next episode, where we'll be doing a preview of the 2017 Pelican Hubs. If you don't know what that is, you'll want to listen and find out. We'll look at what this event means for the community, and our producer, Diana, will be speaking to a couple of this year's Hubmasters. We're going to end this episode with some recommendations from our host, something you're enjoying right now, a book, a show, a game, an album, not necessarily pen or paper related. Jean, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Report of the Week, and it is, I find it hilarious. It's a guy who dresses up in suits, usually quite ill-fitting suits, sits in his car in fast food car parks and reviews food. So there's this guy, very nice, clean, very young, reviewing a burger 
awesome chips or a drink and I don't know why it's funny but it is and he has a very soothing voice and he puts me to sleep so he's great Tab, what's, what's uh, your recommendation? Well, I'll just say about about um, this review guy, you might recognise him because he's also a humongous internet meme just because of what he does and <laughs> I how didn't he looks. Know that. He's a humongous internet meme. They call him Review Bra. And um, yeah, so you'll probably recognise him from, you know, weird Facebook pages if you guys are into that sort of thing. Now, my recommendation, uh, so you've heard from, uh, um, from uh, Ruben. Uh, Ruben and I are both in an acapella group called Vox Canvas. Um, our styles range from things like reggae to barbershop, which is probably our favourite. It's definitely my favourite and definitely Ruben's favourite, um, to different types of pop music. Uh, even We even have an African spiritual song in our repertoire. Um, we're actually... We've, we've got a Facebook page. It's spelled V-O-X space C-A-N-V-A-S. Um, and we're also going to be coming down to Melbourne for the, uh, the Ozarka comedy festival to be competing so if you're in melbourne and you want to hear some bloody good acapella date yes it will be it'll be the 8th and the 9th of uh, september it'll be friday and a saturday it'll be in the evening and uh if you want some bloody good acapella uh get going to there um also i'll be down in melbourne coincidentally on the 8th and the 9th of september if the uh, Melbourneites, yes, if the Melbourneites would like to hear me grumble about flex, then I'll be there. And what's uh, what's your recommendation? I'm going to break off a bit of a tangent, so I'm going to recommend uh, a game off Steam. Uh, we've recently had uh, a very big flu uh, flu season, so on the days I was unfortunately sick, I played a game called Plague Inc. Uh, so there, there's different plague. Uh, well, I've viruses. got that on my phone. So. <laughs> yes. Um, Oh my P-L-A-G-U-E. God. P-L-A-G-U-E-I-N-C. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got uh, bacteria, virus. Uh, there's even a game mode where it's like Planet of the Apes. Uh, there's one for vampire mode and zombies. Nanobots. Nanobots, thank you. Yes. Um, I've completed that quite well. And like that, it was, it was fun to make the world sick. Great. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I'm going to recommend that you call your parents if you have a good relationship or would like a good relationship. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's it for this episode of the Nib section. Uh, As always, you can find our show notes uh, with links and details on our Podbean site. Our hosts this episode were Jean. Bye. uh, Tav. Good to be with you all again. And Chrissy. Thanks for having me again. Uh, And I'm Chuck Montano. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.podbean.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts on something that was discussed? Have suggestions for future topics or just want to let us know how we're going? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us uh, on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pans Oceania. Our producers are Diana Dai, Chucks Montano, Patrick Ansolovich, Denise Tang, Tavit Sinanian, and Jean Pierce. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Ansolovich and Denise Tang. Special thanks this episode goes to Ruben and Ahmad for taking the time to speak to us about calligraphy. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>